affectionately known as the Poop Police, Ms. India Holloway. You know, last week, uh, we started out the, the show. I said, do you suffer from MBBD disease? And that meant my body is breaking down. Mm-hmm. I went on to say, let's stop the body from breaking down by stopping the generational curse. Okay, that was part one. How about part two of that generational curse is running unto the doctor every time something goes a little a bit haywire. Uh, this is, or this, I'm seeing as your thoughts. You think if my health is on the line, I'm glad to hear that the doctor is in. Hmm? Uh, most doctors are presiding over a high density of feedlot of human misery because there's a lot of miserable humans out there and and you pass it on to your family members you know they see you and, and they do the same thing they run in and they say doc here's the pain where's the pill but there is a price to pay when you get down and dirty with the truth about how they operate under this feedlot of human misery. Well, it's called iatrogenic. Have you heard it before? Listen, I want you to write it down because I want you to look it up and I want you to understand it. Iatrogenic, spelled I-A-T-R-O-G-E-N-I-C. Iatrogenic is relating to the death or sickness caused by doctors. Let's break it down a little further. Okay. Uh, it's a Greek term and it comes from the, uh, the origin of medicine and then the healer. Iatrogenic. And we're gonna, we're gonna take you back to a minute in modern time. Explore. And a lot of people live nowhere. Today is April the 7th, and this is a live broadcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are on this great planet. My name is India Holloway. I am an international colon hydrotherapist. I am an iridologist. I have written a book entitled, the body doesn't know how to die. Mm. Well, let's start. Let me start out by saying 
thank you to my regular listeners for being there. Thank you, guys. I'm standing up and I'm saluting you. Thank you for being there. And and for those that are listening in for the very first time, I want to say howdy and welcome. And I and I want to uh, say if you want to join me on this broadcast or any broadcast. And you have something you want to offer or talk about, please feel free to do so. And from 10 to 11 West Coast, you can call in at 310-928-7733 or drop me a line at Interlight dot com. I'll comment and we'll go from there. Let me also spend a moment to thank our men and women in uniform. Love my soldiers. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for your unselfish challenge. And and I want you to know that we regardless of who you are and where you are, you are appreciated right here. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for your dedication. And while we're thanking you, how about this? Let's thank our first responders, our police officers, our firemen, and God bless the nurses. This broadcast is not meant to heal or cure or treat any disease, but but what we will do is educate you on your body. Mm-hmm. Today, we are talking about when doctors went on strike. Yupper, one of the most common causes of disease. We started out on the onset by saying most common cause of disease if not the most common, is conventional medical doctors. Um, It's sad, but it's the saddest thing you'll probably ever hear, but it is true. Your own doctor may be killing you, which means you're paying money to die. Iatrogenic disease, that's medical, that's the medical term, a medical term cause uh, and it's coined uh, by this Greek philosophy right but it means uh, doctor caused disease and there's a lot of it out there people especially iatrogenic disease it is defined as any adverse reaction either minor or major, uh, to a medical or surgical treatment. Done. Now, I'm going to give you a couple quotes. I'm going to give you some statistics, but I want you to do your own research, do your own investigation, figure it all out. The late Robert Mendelssohn, M.D., uh, while... Now, he was chairman 
of the Medical Leasing Committee for the State of Illinois and Associated Professor of Preventive Medicine and Community Health at the University of Illinois School of Medicine. He wrote, the greatest danger to your health is the doctor who practice modern medicine. Modern medicine's treatment for disease are most often more dangerous than the diseases they're designed to treat. There's more to that quote, so you can look it up. You can look it up um, and, and read it for yourself, the whole thing. And just so you know, this university hospital, the, the university hospitals are, are learning hospitals. They teach doctors, right? And you need to go under the whole surface of everything and figure it out. Well, I took a little dive into doctors on strike. Mm-hmm. Whenever a medical doctor goes on strike, a most interesting and remarkable thing occurs. Death rates go down. Wow. In, in 1976, in Bogota, Colombia, uh, medical doctors went on strike for 52 days with only emergency care available, only. And lo and behold, death rates dropped by 35%. Think about it. 52 days, death rates dropped by 35%. That's in Bogota, Colombia. In, in 1976, what was it, 73? In Los Angeles, Doctors went on strike in uh, an 18% drop in death rates, in the mortality. And as soon as the strike was over, bam, went right back to normal. Mm -hmm, went right back to killing people. Got it? A 50% decrease in Israel when uh, death rates, when... There was a, a one-month strike, Israelis, 50%. Whew, I'm out of breath already. Since the early 1800s, I, I mean, it goes back a, a, a minute when things were going on, and there was still this learning curve for everybody and everything, including doctors. And in the early 1980s, we heard a lot about the impact of a managed care and health care cutback. Medical doctors and political liberals, these are people that wanted to do the right thing, looking out for all those that needed a little help, were screaming that people are dying for the lack of services. Medical services, yes. But that's what medical doctors and 
political liberals, liberals were screaming out, right? Actually, just the opposite was true. Just the opposite was true. Since the downsizing and conventional uh, medical services in 1980s, life expectancy has made a massive jump both in the United States and Canada. No drug therapy and, and surgical technique can be shown to have uh, statistically increased the general life expectancy. None. No, no generation uh, has had its life expectancy increase significantly, you're hearing me, since medical doctors began using chemicals, that is medications, for treatments. Researchers in the um, U.S. Government of uh, Accountability Office, this is in I think it's in D.C. It's a legislative branch of government agency that provides auditing, evaluation, and investigative service, right? They found that the medical intervention only accounted for 1.3% of increase of the of an individual's average lifespan. That's it in the United States since 1900. One percent, one to three percent. Let's give it their due. Okay, all right. One to three point five percent of the increase in average lifespan in the United States uh, since, uh, since medication was, uh, uh, sent dangerous drugs. Okay. Dangerous drugs. Sounds like it should be the name of a song. Dangerous drugs, dangerous drugs. The alternative cancer treatment authority. This is a person. This is a doctor. Dr. Ralph Moss noted that in 1999, in, in an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association stated that prescription drugs kill over 100,000 people per year in the United States hospitals. Don't look it up. It's a journal of the American Medical Association, Dr. Ralph Moss in 1999. Go read the article. The FDA noted that back in 1978, 1 1.5 million Americans were hospitalized as a result of taking medical drugs. Now, you know, with this COVID thing, there's a whole world to what I'm saying here. And uh, if I don't get through this particular broadcast, I'm going to continue on next week with how 
this COVID serum and vaccination, yada, yada, yada. Uh, okay, you see where I'm going with this, right? Okay, but listen up. The FDA noted that back in 1978, 1. 1.5 million Americans were hospitalized as a result of taking medical drugs. One in seven hospital beds were taken up by patients suffering from adverse drug reactions. And you're taking the serum? Okay. The General Accounting Office, we went over that, who the General Accounting Office is. They do auditing, evaluation, and investigative service. The General Accounting Office stated that 51.5% of all drugs introduced between 1976 and 1985, so Short's man here, had to be relabeled because of serious adverse reactions found after the marketing and everything was approved and sent out there. These drugs, the reactions like, uh, like heart, uh, reactions, liver or kidney failures, birth defects, blood disorders, respiratory arrest, seizures, and, oh, my God, blindness from the drugs. That was in 1976 through 1985. We're in 2021. And we have a drug coming on the market that is, uh, it was introduced in less than a year. And in less than a year, we have millions of people being injected, but I digress. Drug company, um, the drug company, Priberry, uh, most people are not aware that the drug companies spend thousands of dollars per year on each medical doctor, selling them on the use of uh, their particular products. Drug companies hire what they call detail men, uh, and there's detailed men and women, to visit doctors' offices and give them drug samples. Mm -hmm. These are salespeople. They are not doctors. They have no medical or pharmaceutical training. Pharmacists are doctors, and these salespeople have no medical or pharmaceutical training. They tell your doctor that this drug, what this drug is used for, and what problems you can use it for. Uh, Drug companies start this process early by offering medical students Gifts, trips, 
trips to conferences and their free medical um, uh, uh, educational materials. And they give them a lot of stuff. This means propaganda in the drug industry, propaganda company products in Australia. And I love my Australians. Don't get me wrong. Drug companies spend an average of $10,000 per physician marketing their products to them. And the result of all this is a massive overprescribing of drugs. I mean, think about it. It, it only makes sense. They have the money. It's high, high end money. It's old, high. End. It's money that they can afford to bribe and, and pay and, and get everybody on their side and get everything going. And you know, we're, we're the victims. Drug companies don't stop with just practicing MDs though. They do direct a major dollar towards holding on to your pants, hospitals, medical schools, and, and, um, as well as the independents. And guess who the target is? Yeah, look in the mirror. The man in the mirror. Medical schools, for example, are, are given grants for clinical trials. Oh, wait, let me think a second. Are we in a clinical trial right now with this COVID serum? They say they already went through it. I told you how my brother went to Pfizer and Pfizer paid him to be, you know, one of those um, guineas or guinea pigs to try the serum. Let me tell you, he had so many underlining issues. We don't know what's wrong with him now or where it came from. I'm just saying the boy's in trouble and they paid him just like they pay everybody else, the schools, the, um, the hospitals. They, they have their agenda and they make it look so good until you don't even know. They're, they're given, uh, there's hospitals out there given grants for clinical trials. Pharmaceutical research. Talk about COVID next week when we are in the process of talking about vaccinations and what is the cost of them? And it's free, right? Uh-huh. But what is it doing? How safe is it? 
How much time do we need to go through this? The pharmaceutical industry, big pharma, big pharma, uh, are enlisting the aid of influential academic physicians. I, I went to the doctor last week. I'm going to tell you this story. It's a little bit hilarious, but they tell me that my uh, cholesterol is up. I mentioned that to you. My cholesterol is up, and they want to put me on a low-dose statin. And you should see me. My eyes are crossing. I'm about to pass out. Low-dose statin. And I said, I don't think so, Doc. She sends in the pharmacist. Now, this pharmacist is a young black woman, very astute, very clean-cut, looks really good, and she's sweet as she can be. And she's on the computer, setting up straight, but a stick up her ass, and she's typing, and she says, well, what is the reason you don't want to take this for your, you know, because we're trying to keep you from having a heart attack or a stroke, and she mildly laces in all the things that could happen if my my cholesterol remains high, right? Okay, so um, I say, well, you know, there's side effects and and I've done some reading on it and uh, there's doctors out there that don't want their patients on a statin and I don't like the side effects. Well, she says, see, the, the mild, it could be swollen ankles. And I stopped breathing. I said, I've never had swollen ankles. Why should I start now? I said, look at my ankles. And I showed her perfectly beautiful ankles. I said, I don't want them swollen at all because of a low-dose statin. And there's doctors out there that don't want their patients on it because, as I have read, if I have underlining diseases, if I have the underlining congestive heart failure, which I don't, if I have a, a diabetes, which I don't, and if I have, and I will, I care not to do anything. If I were going to do something, I'm going to change my diet increase my exercise, make sure I get a little more water, maybe more oatmeal, or increase a couple other things. You know, no. I'm not. They say, okay, so we're going to take a little. She can't convince me. Great. So the phlebotomist comes into the room. She says, well, I'm going to take a little bit of your blood. Fine. You're a vampire. Steal it. There's a good vein. And I pointed to it, and she salivates. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So she takes the blood, and she, you know, bids me uh, well to do. She says, have a great day. Enjoy your day. Yada, yada, yada. And she leaves. But she leaves the door open. Ah, 
That's my cue for a fast getaway. Because the way I see it, it's going to be the pharmacist and the doctor come in to corral me, right? The door is open and I make my fast getaway. I go, oh, yeah, this is it. And I leave. And let me tell you, in about three minutes, my phone is blowing up. They're chasing me. Where are you? If you're still in the parking lot, we need you to come back in. We need, uh, And I'm going, uh, my dog is in the car waiting for me, right? I say, Patches, we're getting out of here. I don't even want them to validate my ticket. No, I'll pay cash. I'm out. <laughs> and my phone blew up for 15 minutes. But by that time, I was back in my studio. Yep. And taking a deep breath, I escaped. I escaped their corral. No way am I going to take that medication. And we'll talk about, because everybody that comes into my studio, or just about, asks me about my opinion on the vaccine. Just about everybody. I don't bring it up. I don't care to know. You got your vaccine. That's fine. And I might ask a few questions about your side effects, if any. But no. I'm talking, I, I, you know, I always digress. But you, you need to understand where I'm coming from. Hospitals are a hotbed for iatrogenic disease. Iatrogenic is your, if you're just now tuning in, I-A-T-R-O-G-E-N-I-C, iatrogenic disease. If you find yourself in a hospital, you're in trouble. Most of it is there. Every year, this is what you need to know. Every year, two million, two million people are admitted to the hospital with one health problem or another and end up with another health problem or another just by being there. And this is according to Dr. Mendelssohn that these doctor-caused diseases kill as many as 200 thousand people annually. This is in the United States. I mean, I can lace in other uh, countries and different areas, but this is in the Southern Medical Journal reported that one in five patients admitted to the university hospitals acquire an iatrogenic disease. University hospital. Let's talk about that for a second. I told you early on that this is a, you, you, Johns Hopkins was a university hospital, is a university hospital. It's a teaching institution. They have young doctors coming in and they teach them the new stuff. And they give them all the things they need. These teaching hospitals 
uh, one in 30 of these lead to death that go into the hospital and it's caused by iatrogenic disease. And, and most of them are from the drugs. 10% result from improper diagnosis. You got your drugs, you got your improper diagnosis, you got dead people, right? Another study showed, um, <clears throat> this was 115 consecutive patients in the university, university hospital over an eight-month period found that 36% had a disease caused by their doctor. In 2% of these cases, iatrogenic disease was believed to be the cause of the patient's death. If you, if you project that, uh, figure it out. Assuming 2% of all hospital patients die from an iatrogenic disease and you get 700,000 hospital doctor-related caused diseases per year, one-third of all deaths in the hospital are caused by doctors. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a whole thing. And hospital infections are up. In listen to this, in eight I know I'm going way back here. In 1840s, Doctor I I I Inez Simawise uh, directed a teaching hospital, another university hospital in Vienna. Where 75%, this is in 1840s, right? Where women were given, that were given birth dying from a particular fever. Uh, he, these are women given birth. He observed that the doctors went from dissecting a cadaver to Delivering babies without washing their hands. Holy man. And that's medical policy and changed and required doctors to wash their hands before delivering the babies after handling a cadaver. A cadaver is a dead person, right? It's a dead body. And they were dissecting it. The mortality rate from his talking about washing your hands, people, dropped 15-fold. Unfortunately, his arrogant colleagues couldn't see the connection between a cadaver to a newborn baby or a mother giving birth. So they dismissed him ostracized him. They cast him out of the group. You cannot no longer be here. And there's a whole thing about it. He he actually went crazy and was in an asylum. And, you know, it's just, this was in 1840. 
but doctors are, are are enlightened nowadays and you know we know sanitation and we know we should wash hands but let me let me read you this statistic <clears throat> In 1981 study, washing habits, it's 1981, in intensive care units found that only 28% of the doctors washed between patients. In a teaching hospital, in the university hospital, only 14% washed in the private hospital. Dr. Mendelssohn noted, the sanitary practices of medical personnel are often um, admirable and the hospital itself is probably the most germ-laden facility in town. In in some cases, it's your own home, but because <laughs> that's like a petri dish of bacteria and germs. But um, the chances of getting an infection in a hospital are one in twenty, with fifteen thousand people dying annually from hospital acquired infections. This is infections, people. <sighs> HI or HAIs, that's hospital acquired infections. I mean, they have names for these things. The highest of all of them is sepsis. And we all know what sepsis is now. I mean, it took a minute to get out there, but sepsis is the highest HAI. Hospital-acquired infection, sepsis. And it's mostly in the hospital. It's in hospitals. And then there are the surgeries, right? Surgeries. Oh, boy. You're going in. uh, Well, let me just quote you this one. It's an article in the New York State Journal of Medicine by Dr. Arthur Mannix, M-A-N-N-I-X, Jr. Look it up. And he says, errors in judgment, these are surgeries now, errors in judgment for the technique considering either anesthesia or the surgery itself or a combination of the two contribute to Listen to this number, close to 50% of the deaths in an operating room. Go ahead, get yourself sliced and diced. And I haven't, I didn't even have a chance to look up all those folks that are electric surgeries. Who was it? One, was it, who was it's mom died getting liposuction or something like that? Do you remember? Brother Jamal, and uh, on the operating table, right? Disease is only responsible. Yeah. Uh, Kanye West, mommy. Yeah, thank you, babe. Uh, 
on the table. And that's just because she was the mom of a famous person that it got out there. How many more are out there? I haven't looked at that number yet. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Close to 50% of the deaths on operating tables. Amazing. Disease is only responsible for 50% of the deaths in the operating table, while the doctors are responsible for the other 50. Yeah. Iatrogenic. Look it up. Uh, um, there's a study in New England, and it was in the New England Journal of Medicine, noted the following. 20% of all surgeries are unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Even if the doctor says you need to get this sliced and diced, 20% of all surgery is unnecessary. Number two, this unnecessary surgery costs consumers over $3 billion a year. You're paying money to die. I said that on the onset. Go ahead. Dish out your change. Well, maybe you can send it my way, right? I'm trying to help you out here, people. There are 2.4 million unnecessary operations annually. 2.4 million. You're getting sliced and diced all over the place. This is, this is number four. This unnecessary surgery results in 12,000 unnecessary deaths a year. (sighs) Another study showed that when a second specialist was consulted, so you got a second opinion, 18% of that time he is he he has disagreed with going along with the surgery. 18%. And if they went along with the um, surgery, it's because it was the surgeon's buddy that did the second opinion. I'm just saying. Just saying. Hysterectomies. Ladies, listen to this. Hysterectomies are the most common operations today with nearly 1 million done per year. Hysterectomies, ovaries, uterus. And you, you go along with this. In, in, in six New York hospitals, 43% of the hysterectomies were found on review to have been unjustified. You know, if we give ourselves, why don't we just line up and march into the Holocaust? Line up, just march right on in. Why don't you go out and sit in the middle of the street and wait for a fast-moving bus. Get it over with. 
Why even go through this? I, I get passionate about this kind of stuff. Fast moving bus will take you out right now. Why suffer? Women with abdominal bleeding from a uterus or a heavy menstrual flow uh, were given an operation through the treatment or none at all and probably have worked as well. Did I did I read that right? I wrote it myself. <laughs> I can't even read it. What I'm saying is in, in essence, you, it, it, this is my philosophy and this is in my book. If you do absolutely nothing, you're better off. Swear to God. If you do absolutely nothing, you're better off. Okay. Protecting yourself from doctors. D Dr. In general, doctors in general should be treated with about the same degree of trust as a sales, a car salesman, a used car salesman. And this is a quote from Dr. Robert Mendelssohn, MD, number one. Caveat emptor. You know what that means? Caveat Enter. Buyer, beware. C-A-V-E-A-T, new word, E-M-P-T-O-R. Let the buyer beware. Don't assume your doctor knows everything. How many times do I say that in a day? Your doctor is the nicest person on the planet. They have great bedside manner. Mine does. And they, they seem so earnest and on your side and they want to help. And everything he or she knows, everything is not what's best for you. Use your doctor like your attorney or your CPA, right? everyone um, to give you counsel, counsel uh, with you making the final decision and not them dictating to you what you should do. Because they can dictate. Look at what they did to me. Chase me in office. OMG. You should have saw me getting away. I felt like Swear I felt like I had just robbed the bank and I'm making my fast getaway. Me and my dog, my sidekick. <laughs> uh, my riding shotgun, right? Okay. So first, buyer beware. Second, don't panic with sickness. Because if you panic, you're going to let them chop you up. Remember the guy I, I told you, uh, one of my um, tales from the table where this 52-year-old, very handsome man, uh, retired from the police force. Good-looking guy. He is all chopped apart. They scared him. 
about his prostate. They went in and did a biopsy on his prostate. They went in and chopped out his prostate. And he's a eunuch. He He's just a shell of a man. And, and it's a shame. I hate seeing that. So, number two, don't panic with sickness. Do your research. Sickness is an opportunity for you to learn about your body's needs. Rely on your gut feeling, not what the doctor is giving you in the form of what? Scare tactic? Unless it's an emergency? Back off. Do, do, do an emergency scale on yourself. Change your diet. Do your exercise. Uh, drink more water and anything else that's a healing supplement you should be taking. Number three, avoid treating symptoms. Right. I said it. Avoid treating symptoms. There, there would be little iatrotrophic diseases if people were not so intent on treating symptoms. Doc, here's the pain, where's the pill? That's a pain is a symptom. Instead, you should go down the root causes. Go to the root causes, which usually means a lifestyle change. Don't be so quick, uh, to fix the pain. Pain is your friend. Pain is telling you it, 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 it's a symptom, but it's saying something is wrong. Fix it. Don't ignore it. Don't disguise it. Don't cover it up. Fix it. And yet we take pain medication. We cover it up. We we try to cut it out uh, um, immediately, if not sooner. But that's not what you should be doing. And it's going to cost you. Uh, I'm telling you, it will cost. Ah, drugs. Iatrogenic drugs. Iatrogenesis. Look it up. Pain is a warning that something is wrong. Again, seek to fix the underlying cause. And if, and if you can't find it, keep searching. Uh, and people are constantly searching, right? Seek appropriate health care services. You know, you can come in and see me. I'll tell you a little bit about what we do there. And we're, you know, Everything, as far as I'm concerned, my hands are in the air. I'm like praising Lord that everything starts in the gut. Come in and get flushed out. The old adage says, never ask a barber if you need a haircut. Don't expect anything by a prescription drug for symptoms. When you go to a medical doctor, it is just not what 
is supposed to happen. Look at me running from my doctor and laughing all the way. Oh, my God, I've, I've escaped. Let me see how much money's in my pocket. I'm minus nine bucks because I would not get that ticket stamped. That's right. I'm out of here, people. She left the door open. You don't leave a door open with a patient sitting in there. That's against the rules. So they broke the rule. I broke a rule. If you want to deal with underlying causes, go to the appropriate natural doctor and work your way backwards. Uh, I send people to the doctor all the time. Go ask him for your CRP. Go, uh, that's a, a, a marker for inflammation. Most doctors don't want to do it. Go ask him for this. Yeah, the doctor did a, yesterday, tail from the table, yesterday. I asked the lady, I said, I'm looking at you and I know you have issues with your thyroid. Well, I, I had it all checked. Here it is. And she showed me on the phone. Nothing, nothing wrong with my thyroid. And I said, you went to your GP. She is a general practitioner. She knows nothing about a thyroid. How about having her send you to a specialist? Or how about this first? Read this book. And I gave her the name of a book that talks about thyroid and told her to educate herself on what thyroid was all about. And the way I see her is she has hypothyroidism type 2. I didn't diagnose her. I never mentioned that to her. But I looked at her. She's overweight. She can't lose the weight. Her fingers are fat at the bottom and skinny at the top. She's got a hump, buffalo hump, at where her wrist is. And I said, it's not because you're overweight. And I looked at her neck, and her neck is fat and, and roly-poly. Uh, she's got all the signs of hypothyroidism type 2. I read about it. But I have her doing her homework, her research. And then we're going to get back together again, discuss it again, and have her go back to her doctor. And there's about four other tests that can be done to determine if her thyroid was off, which her doctor only did one. And most doctors will only do one. Just saying. Seek appropriate uh, health care and, and go to the appropriate people. Gosh. You know what? I'm running out of time here. And it's so unfortunate because I had so much else to say. How many people die from the flu every year? And, and we're concerned about more than died from the flu. How many people die from the flu every year? Do you know? There's a, quite a bit. About Five to 20% of Americans get the flu every year. I haven't had the flu since 1942. Uh, you know, I was born in, in 1948 or somewhere around there. But, you know, I exaggerate a little on this subject of flu. 
every year more than two hundred thousand disease control. And since 1970, between 3,000 and 49,000 people have died from the flu each year. Mm-hmm. This is largely due to other infections and applications that can occur when you have the flu and you're in the hospital, particularly pneumonia. Look at that going around with this COVID. So I'm going to have to wait until next week. And we're going to talk about the And why are they so confused? The only thing that pisses me off is that they're going to have it so you can not without um, having this vaccination. You know, I'm in my 70s. I'm coasting out of here. You know, I could care less. Uh, I think I'll just buy me a car and travel in the car. All right, I don't need to fly. Uh, I've traveled around the world in my day, and uh, I want to go to Australia, but eh, what the heck. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, my name is India Holloway. You've been listening to the Inner Life. Look at my website, healthylivingstudios.com. How about suddenly something you want to question, you want me to talk about, love to do that. You can call me at 866-557-9557. Come see what we do. Come see how we do it. Until this time next week, I want to say with love and great from nutrition to colonics to iridology she's there for you and your family